1: pause your word counts and enjoy. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our 100th episode and we wanted to do something extra special. Over the next hour, you'll hear our panelists, Agents Kayla Leitner, Saba Suleiman and Fiona Kenschel, and book to film producer Marilyn Atlas describe what they're looking for in their inboxes, their best tips for writers, and their advice on how to give your work its best possible chance. This was the biggest Zoom event we've ever seen with well over a 100 of you there, and we're so grateful you were willing to come along on this experiment with us. We had so much fun, and we'd love to do it again. So if you'd like to hear about events like this before they go live, head to manuscriptacademy.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to join the Facebook group where so many of these writers met their friends and critique partners, head to manuscriptacademy.com slash Facebook. It's a double episode. It's really long. So if you're in a hurry, we've added timestamps in the show notes. Thank you for joining us and for bringing us along with you on your walks, commutes, and even mountain biking trips. We wouldn't be here without you, and we appreciate you. Hope this finds you well in this incredibly unusual year. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Before we get started, we'd like to introduce ourselves. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer, literary agent with Context Literary Agency and the co-founder of MSWL and its sister company, The Manuscript Academy. We exist to bring conference resources and connections to you wherever you may be.
0: Hey you guys, I'm Julie Kingsley, I'm co-founder of the Manuscript Academy, co-host of the Manuscript Academy podcast with Jessica, and I'm currently a writing teacher here in Maine.
1: You guys, I cannot believe that we are at our 100th (laughs) podcast. (laughs) So many things had to go right to make this possible. So many things. There were moments when I was trying to learn how to do audio production myself. We tried to record in so many weird places, and we did. We now have a wonderful editing team, which makes it so much easier, and that's a big reason why you can be here and Relax and not worry about anything because no matter what, you will sound better than real life. That is one thing that we promise. So again, you're among friends. Please don't stress. And thank you so much for the kind comments and emojis in the text chat. I'm loving that. Amy says she feels like that Kermit meme where he's waving his hands all around. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're, we're so appreciative. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being supportive as we learn new things. There's a definite learning curve to podcasting, but we, we so appreciate you and appreciate you being part of our community.
0: Yeah, and we appreciate how you guys let us learn as we went. <laughs> and I used to like, I still get nervous. I like just all your, your faces on me makes makes me nervous. But we have, we've come a long way since we started in the, in the closet. I would always podcast in the closet, and the dogs <laughs> would bark, and the people would be knocking at the door. And those pronunciations, so hard. <laughs> but you guys, yeah, our tech got better, it got easier, and now it's just fun for us. And that's exactly what we we want you to feel, that publishing can be fun, <laughs> yeah. uh, that they're real humans working as hard as
1: they can, and this really interesting beast that is publishing. And we've gotten to chat with so many interesting, amazing people, and it always pleases me when the conversation goes in a completely unexpected direction. Um, I think that's one of the things we love so much about this is that we get to talk to really warm, thoughtful eloquent, interesting people who are funny too about things that we never expected. So we're we're so grateful that we get to do this. And I grew up in a small town and I always think about what I would want if I wasn't lucky enough to be able to leave. And so I think it's the conversations that I enjoy most about living in New York. And I'm just happy that you get to listen in on them. So We're in this very special spot. We appreciate you. Thank you. And we're so happy you can join us for our 100th episode.
0: Yeah. And thank you for trusting us with this idea and with your nominations. They were such a pleasure to read. And it was so wonderful to hear just the glowing, glowing reviews that your
1: fellow writers wrote about all of you. They were amazing. That was actually my favorite part, the wonderful things you wrote about each other. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to not only reading those, but hearing those nominations tonight. We're inspired a little bit by AGT, you know, America's Got Talent, because this is a great way to see the amazing talent in our community. Um, A little bit like the Babysitter's Club, where it's all your experts in one place. And a little bit like Queer Eye, just because we love the idea of a publishing dream team to help every aspect of your work. So uh, without further ado, we'd like to introduce you to our panel. Our first panelist is Kayla Leitner. Kayla, would you say a few words about yourself?
2: Sure. Um, first off, thanks for having me. I'm so Yay, Kayla! To be here. I'm so, so impressed with you guys that, you know, you guys say you're nervous, but Overall, it's amazing that you put this together and you're doing great so far. So you don't oh. need to <laughs> um, But hi, everybody. Um, my name is uh, Kayla Leitner. I am a assistant and junior agent at Aisha Pandey Literary, a boutique agency based out of Harlem that represents clients like Iba Max Kendi, Danielle Evans, uh, Lisa Ko, Tiffany Jewell. I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but those are some of our clients. I, myself, as I mentioned, am an assistant. So that means I support our Seven, eight, I should know how many people we have, but seven mm-hmm. agents, eight including myself, while also building my own list in terms of what I'm interested in. I have very wide, broad tastes that don't make sense together on the commercial side. I really love speculative uh, fiction that centers POC voices, and so that can be, be anything from science fiction to fantasy to uh, magical realism to horror. I love a, a, a non traditional pantheon. So while Greek gods are great, I would love to see something different. Also love horror that integrates history and shows that social institutions can be far more terrifying than fictional monsters. Then on the magical realism side, I'm, a, I'm a, a sucker for, you know, sleepy, isolated Southern towns with the current of, of magic running through them. I'm from Georgia. So I'm sure that's where that bias comes from. And then on the literary side, um, I really love a good, compelling family saga. Uh, so sin of the mother, daughter, father, dog, just all family members having secrets and not acting right <laughs> I will read it and then I also love any type of um, satire whether it's in the form of a novel or a short story collection that pokes fun at the American dream I'm a fan of it all and then finally on the nonfiction side I am a big fan of narrative nonfiction and essay collections especially anything that deals with black girlhood coming of age and how coming of age extends past childhood and really until your early adulthood because I'm um, in my early 20s, and I still don't really know what's going on. And also anything that, you know, balances between that teaching me something new, but also really great storytelling. So that could be about an isolated community that I know nothing about, you know, a job, a weird job that I know nothing about. Um, And then finally, anything that centers um, Black women and mental health. And so I would love, love, love to find a book that talks about Black women and depression. So yeah, I think I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. Um, But thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Thank you so
1: much, Kayla. And people are even saying in the text chat that they have friends that they're going to send your way because All you right. sound like a great fit. So you? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Next up, we have Fiona Kenschel. Fiona, will you say a few words about yourself?
3: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thank you for asking me. I guess as the um, British expat here, I get to be the Tan France of the group. I I would love to be the Jonathan Van Ness, but no, I am the Tan France.
1: (laughs) I think everyone wants to be the Jonathan Van Ness, right?
3: (laughs) Anyway, I am first, I'm an immigrant. I moved here from Oxford in the UK in the Cotswolds to Portland, Oregon. And I love it here. I love the Pacific Northwest. And I think things like that I'm looking for are uh, picture books by author illustrators and graphic novels. I love YA that just makes you feel good, happy wrote rom-coms, books about sisters, things with un- sad endings are not really my bag. I do love unreliable narrators, that sense of believing in someone and then suddenly finding that the, the, actually they're not telling the truth all along, I love those. Middle grade stories, about the kind of thing that middle graders have to tackle, uh, deal with, which is, you know, finding your place in the world, figuring out your friend group, dealing with your family. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of across the board, really. Um, I just love a good story. And real children in magical worlds, which just totally floats my boat. I was an army, a girl. So anyway... Those, the, those are the kind of things I'm looking forward to chatting to everybody. And I just got to say, I love seeing all the familiar faces. There are a whole bunch of people I recognize. So hi, everybody.
1: And then our next agent is Saba Suleiman.
3: Thank you so much for being
1: here. I know you've been so busy this year and it means a lot that you made time. So thank you.
4: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. This was such a fantastic idea and it's so glad to be here and just this- see all of you writers support each other. I am Sabah, for all of us, you who don't know me, I am an agent at Talcott Nash Literary, which is also a boutique agency. We are in Milford, Connecticut, although a lot of us live all around because remote work is great. And I personally am just like Fiona. Hi, Fiona. I'm hi, a-
3: hi, a- <laughs> Twitter friends. so nice to meet you.
4: I moved to the US from Pakistan, Karachi, Pakistan, and I've been living here for a long time now. I can't even think about it. But and yeah, I uh, in terms of what I'm looking for, I work uh, mostly in children's fiction and nonfiction. But I am looking to expand my list further in adult fiction and nonfiction. So with with KidLit, definitely picture books through to YA, the whole gamut. With picture books, I'm open to all kinds of narratives. Essentially, I'm reading a lot of them with my own two children. So, like, a lot of bedtime storytelling is also kind of market research <laughs> time. So this makes me feel better about, you know, extending story time just a little longer. But I'm open to all kinds of narratives. I'm drawn most to stories that are just really heartwarming, that do stuff with wordplay, whimsical stuff, text, textual stuff, more text-based. I'm not a very visual person, so definitely... That's not my kind of story. I, I feel like I have no imagination for, for, for wordless picture books and just limited word picture books. And memorable characters, for sure. I'm a character-driven person in everything, mm-hmm. picture books included. With middle grade, honestly, anything that's smart and accessible and written with flair and just that beautiful middle grade voice, You know, whether it's quirky or funny or dark or creepy, or just, you know, plain sweet and heartwarming and you just want to give the protagonist a hug throughout the book, like that kind of story. I just love middle grade. I'm mostly, I'm most wide when it comes to middle grade, when it comes to genres within middle grade. So that's the one I'm really, really excited about always. Um, with young adults, Generally speaking, I'm mostly interested in contemporary realistic stories. Again, anything with heart, a really strong protagonist, really memorable voice, lots of humor, personality. I love humor. I almost can't read a book that doesn't have even just a little bit of humor in it because I need that. And then with adults, I do pretty much mostly upmarket and literary. I'm open to commercial fiction, mostly in the women's fiction space and in romance, but nothing more genre within commercial. Again, sort of in terms of what I'm looking for, uh, genre-wise and topic-wise, I I think I'm mostly looking for, again, super character-driven narratives that are about sort of how people think in high-stake conditions and stories that explore complicated relationships and Morally gray situations. I love that stuff, even in my kidlet. So that's just really my jam. I enjoy stories that involve, explore, or meaningfully engage with feminism and gender and the way we think about gender. The increasing pervasiveness of technology and society. So, you know, how we're dependent on technology, how we need it, how it needs us sometimes, social media, all that stuff the quest for individual power and control and how that affects people's personal relationships. Like I'm really into relationship, interrelationship inter- control and that, that the dynamics that sort of operate in a relationship as it gets more and more sort of complicated. Mm -hmm. communication, Mm -hmm. popular culture, generational divides in communication. I'm talking a lot, Jess. I can stop.
1: (laughs) No, um, I love all of this because I think it's so, I mean, it's one thing to read the genre someone is interested in, but it's another thing to hear someone say it and hear their tone of voice and hear their enthusiasm. And I, I am, I'm loving your enthusiasm and this is just a great way to show that agents are people too.
4: And of course I have to specifically mention immigration and migration because I'm an immigrant and I think a lot about how people reinvent themselves and renegotiate their identities after being displaced from familiar environments. So it's not even just about being an, an, an international immigrant. It's about just leaving and coming and returning. What is home? Why did you leave? Was it a choice? Did you have to? And how does that filter into how you, how your identity changes with regard to, you know, patriotism or even just feeling like you belong somewhere in a community or at a place? So... Yeah, those are my big ones.
1: Thank you, Saba. And again, like it's it's been um, it's been quite a year, everyone. So we especially appreciate that you're all here with us right now. Okay, and last but certainly
5: not least, Marilyn Atlas. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, I'm delighted to be here. I am not an agent, I'm a manager, I represent actors, writers, and directors. The writers that I represent. Um, write for television or features, and many of them have had books published. Um, Thankfully through me, a client uh, that was published at Sourcebooks, dedicated one of his first books to me for years begging him. I just felt he had an interesting voice and he should write. He wrote uh, two children's books, um, middle school, uh, that had first been written as a feature. When I wear my producer hat, as well as as a manager for over 20 years now, I've been committed to diversity. So all the projects that I develop as a producer are based on IP and usually a strong female protagonist and also diverse characters. A couple of years ago, I tried to figure out what was it in my gut instincts that let me get excited about a certain writer, and this was way before my industry was as open as it is now uh, in terms of Asian writers, African-American, Latinx. And I realized it was writers that had created really indelible characters, very memorable. And with two associates, we wrote a book called Dating Your Character, and it's 536 pages for writers not to necessarily go with their gut instincts, but to... To go deeper and to to try to create characters that we haven 't seen before or that is not as cliched, yeah, so at the moment the projects that i 'm working on um, one was based on a series of books with a South Asian protagonist that was that one best movie in Canada a couple of years ago, and i 'm trying to adapt it for streaming and I have a Chinese project and wonderful project written by an African-American writer. He's a crime writer. He also writes on a television show. And it was a book that when I read it, just so resonated in me. Because again, a non-typical or stereotypical female protagonist. And that's it. Fantastic. Thank you, Julie. And thank you, Jessica.
1: Well, we're so so happy to see you. We've emailed with you for so long. It's nice to see you to see your face and hear your voice. And I think a lot of people dream about having a book-to-film project. So I'm sure well, everyone will be excited to see your your feedback here. We have one more very special guest to introduce, the newest member of the Manuscript Academy team, mm-hmm. and that's Valentina Woodson. Valentina, will Yay. you say a few words
6: about yourself? Yeah. Welcome. Hi, hey everybody. I'm Valentina. I am ridiculously excited. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, Jessica and Julie
7: both took, you know, they, they both went on a limb for me, and I'm just excited to be here. Um, I've been writing since, oh my God, just before I could remember. My book bag was filled with books more than a Metro school books, but you know, library books and things as such. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I'm just excited to be part of the team and and uh, see what I can do to help them two out because they carry a lot of weight (laughs) by themselves. I'm just excited to be here and be able to help as much as I possibly can.
1: And we will all be answering emails. So if you see Valentina's name, she's real, she's not a robot. We are all very committed to very human responses at the Manuscript Academy. And we we love Valentina and can't wait to grow with her. So, yay. Okay, uh, Julie, should we talk a little bit about how tonight's going to work?
0: So, you guys, this is how it works. So, we actually compiled a huge spreadsheet of all the different nominations, and we put them to our faculty (laughs) for our dream team, and they picked their top choices. So, the top choices for tonight were all handpicked, by faculty. So once again, it kind of mirrored the slush pile in an interesting way. And I'm so excited for us to start talking about
6: this work.
1: Yeah. What should we say, Jessica? Well, the way it's going to work is we're going to announce, yes, in the moment. I know some of you were stressed out about that, but we really wanted to see your faces and capture that joy, hopefully, um, both visually and you know in a way that we can share on the podcast. And so we're going to announce the pairs of nominator nominees and call you up to the stage, which in this case, because we're in Zoom, means (laughs) unmuting yourself. (laughs) Um, And then we will ask the nominator to say nice things about the nominee and ask the nominee to read their query and first pages. So hopefully, all of the nominees out there have your query and first pages ready, and then The uh, faculty member who chose the nominator nominee will say some words, and then the entire panel will weigh in on each one. And our goal is to make it so that these four lucky writers have a breadth of feedback and support. And, yeah, our only rule is you need to be really, really nice to each other in the text chat. And we know our panel will be nice, but the writers in the text chat, this is a supportive, safe place. So... That is that's pretty much it. All right. Uh, should we announce the first pair, Julie? I think we should. Okay. All right. So these are Kayla Lightner. This is Kayla Lightner's pick. It's Mary Brustowicz and Anne Hodock. So if Mary and Anne could unmute themselves and Anne, if you could Yay. come say a few words
8: about Mary. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is fantastic. And I would love to say a few words about Mary. I was thrilled to nominate her. And her query is based on her book, Madrid Haunts. And I just loved the title so much. And it's a memoir. And she's said herself that she's got short chapters that read like going out for tapas. And Mm -hmm. that just won my heart. Um, But the stories that she has in it, the the things that she's been through, it's just, I can't wait to read it. It's going to be such a great book. And she lives with her Spanish husband and two children. And she's been working so hard on this. And I just really wanted to see her get this chance. And she's also so incredibly generous. And supportive of others. She's been a great partner through this process. And she, I don't know how finds the time, but she also currently works helping families find support and services for their children with differing abilities. And I just think that, I think the world of her already without having met her. So I'm happy to introduce her.
1: Yay. So yes, we also asked how the process has been going so far because we want to be able to give feedback She says, I've gotten two requests for the entire manuscript, a wow, impressive, but I didn't fall in love one, and a this just isn't right for me, but it will be for someone else. The worst was a drunken, I hope, Christmas Eve response, no thanks. No capitalization on the N, no period after thanks. That was just ugly. I switched my first and second chapters after a working session with an agent and have not queried since. The original first chapter feels a bit like overworked dough, and I feel this new chapter does not have a hook, especially the first page.
9: Okay. So yeah, whenever you're ready. All right. Madrid Haunts is a memoir of approximately 70,000 words with short chapters that read like going out for tapas. My memoir starts in Madrid, Spain in the 1980s, when La Movida Madrileña, the reopening of Spain after Franco's dictatorship, is in full swing. Through this memoir of joyous places with universal themes of loss and recovery, I move from being a new adult, brash yet insecure, to as much as an adult as I ever will be. I present the hope and insight that I gain in a relatable and fast-paced way that is appealing during this time of uncertainty and upheaval. It is an opportunity to take an international jaunt and learn while staying in one socially responsible armchair. I've published an essay about dancing with the Prince of Spain and a short story about Shirley Jackson, which is set to be published in the Rochester Spoken Word Collection. I am a frequent reader at the Rochester Spoken Word events and Stories Rock. I write about growing up in a large family and my two frequent domestic disasters in my blog, Keep Mary Out of the Kitchen. I studied Romance Language and English Literature in college and worked in the film industry and wrote research for Horgavet and investment funds in Spain. I live with my Spanish husband, and our two children and currently work helping families find supports and services for their children with differing abilities. Ring. Madrid is a generous city. She shares her energy and only asks that you stop every once in a while to admire how the sun, when shining through her air, makes even the most common thing noticeable. As I turn the last corner around the black steel cage that encloses the elevator on my way down the marble stairs of my apartment building, I notice dusky sunlight shining on peach-colored paper in my mailbox. I feel about in the pocket of my denim jacket, find the key to the box, and examine the paper full of custom stamps and running purple ink. My mama sent me a package too large to be delivered to my flat. I have to go to the Chamartin train station, find the aduana, the customs office, and they'll give me the package. It's an easy enough route at first, the blue line straight to Chamartín, then up the collection of escalators to the surface where the blast of taxi and bus exhaust, mixed with the different types of cigarette smoke and cologne, intoxicating. The rush, the crowds, and the smell fill me as the last step of the escalator folds down under the f- floor, and I step out into the light and glass of the ground level of the train station. The man in front of me drops a still-smoking end of a cigarette. I dodge it and watch it skip bright white, over the gleaming brown-red floor as I scan the vast area until I find the booth with a lowercase i for información. The blue-uniformed woman at the information booth takes the dusky paper and looks at me. Hija, you have to go to the far end of the the station. Go down the last escalators. There's a path, you will see it, that runs along the tracks. Follow it until you get to the building that says, Aduana, did you get that? Yes, thank you. And as it happens so often in Spain, we smile genuine smiles at each other.
1: Yeah. So Kayla, do you want to talk a little bit about how you chose this page and what you'd like to suggest?
2: Yeah, sure. And so um, very similar to what Anne mentioned about the hook of the query immediately standing out to me when I read it. You know, that was very much what I experienced. I, I think that's a beautiful line. And even overall like your Mary your your writing is so image inducing even when you were talking as i read through your submission materials and you were talking about your frustrations and what wasn't working well you did a very good job of using like you know illustrative imagery even then i'm trying to find it now of course i scrolled past it but overall like you you know the the your writing both in your query and in the first page has such an a narrow a narrative presence and, and, and an authority that really makes you feel grounded in the setting. And so that's, you know, really what stood out to me. Also the fact that it's, it's this kind of coming, coming of age, coming into adulthood. And I, and I mentioned that in, in what I'm looking for and what I, what interests me, but how that, how that experience is kind of universal, no matter what time period it is, no matter where it is, this idea of, you know, coming into yourself and, and, that being reflected in in this period of extreme turmoil and so in terms of I guess I think it it would be most helpful to to address like the questions that you brought up in terms of feeling that the first rewrite of this had felt like overworked dough but then the second one you're worried that there isn't enough of a hook or we don't understand enough of the character's intention or the subject's intention um in the first page and I'm fellow pan- panelists, feel free to weigh on this afterwards, too. But I'm wondering if you don't need to necessarily stress yourself with having an extreme hook in the first page, especially since you're grounding us in this new environment. And so, you know, you're taking us from your apartment to, the, you know, the post office to pick up this package um, from your mother. And I'm, I'm, you know, kind of learning and seeing this environment unfold. As you're describing it. So I'm not really stressed about like, okay, well, what does this character want? Like, what? like, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I do think, of course, you're right, that that is something that we need to begin to understand, even in the first 10 pages, but I absolutely wouldn't stress yourself, you know, about having that in the first Page, that's impossible. Um, especially when you're you're creating this this rich setting around us. Also, in terms of the understanding you as a subject, I'm curious if perhaps a, a perspective, the teeniest perspective shift, um, can give you what you're looking for. And so you want you want us to understand a little bit more about you as a subject and like what you want. And you know that this is the first time where you are carving out an identity for yourself. And so I'm curious if instead of taking taking us along with you to the post office where you pick up this package, which I also love because it's, I, it's, I have absolutely experienced of like my mom sending me a care package of some sort and I have to go pick it up because it's so large because she's so worried about me and that I can't fend for myself, which is, you know, another conversation for another day. But perhaps starting us off there of like, okay, you have this oversized clunky package that you're taking back with you to your apartment. Your mom sent it to you. So we begin to understand that you are off on your own. You are in this new phase of adulthood. That we all experience, where you kind of have that, you know, that that tenuous link to to your life before and growing up with your parents, but you're also trying to carve out a space for yourself. So that's a suggestion. Of course, you can take it with a grain of salt. But otherwise, um, I, I I would I was really what really stood out to me is the fact that also in the in the face of this dictatorship, how life like goes on, but also like kind of doesn't. Um. So I, I'm sure that's also going to be a really compelling part of of the memoir as well. Um. And of course, again, you can't really cram all of that there's only so much you can fit in the first page um so no need to stress yourself just yet in terms of the setting in itself is rich enough that I am along for the ride at least for you know the first chapter so yeah that's fine yeah definitely
1: and can we just talk for a second about the rejection on Christmas Eve because why
2: (laughs) I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I have no I have mm, agents are people too and that that can be great. Sometimes that, but that can also be, they can be jerks. <laughs> yeah. It
1: was brutal. They're I different. bet. I'm really sorry, Mary. That shouldn't have happened. And, you know, I feel bad if I reject someone on a normal weekend, but on Christmas Eve, that's just, that's just rough. So really figured, sorry that happened.
9: I figured she was having a rougher night than I was.
1: Yes, that agent definitely lost out. That's what everyone in the text chat is saying. So does the rest of our panel have have
3: thoughts? Does anyone want to jump in? I'd love to say I don't represent memoir. I like reading it, and you—you just use language so beautifully. The way you engage my senses—I felt smell, I felt color, I felt heat, I—I—and I, just those little little details that gave the period the denim um, I, I I was there in Madrid in in, in the in the, in, the, in this period so it is very familiar and and just that gorgeous opening line I mean really you you the first thing I just thought was oh this is a safe pair of hands. I can relax into this prose knowing that I'm along for the ride. It was just, it was lovely. And even the way you described your rejection, and by the way, totally dodged a bullet there. You don't want to be repped by someone like that. Ah, no. Um, <laughs> it's, it, uh, that was lovely and and I, I, I think a lot about setting actually and I think I wouldn't sweat the whole character thing because I think if you, your first couple of pages really, setting is quite an important thing and I've been doing some analysis recently of how much space is spent on setting in books I admire um, in the first few pages and it's surprising quite how often, quite, you know, about, about a good third I'd say. So, yeah,
1: lovely. I did have a few thoughts that I will mention while we are waiting for for anyone else who wants to chime in. I loved that it was short chapters that read like going out for tapas. I think that was a great line. I like how you established a good emotional range. You've got some very serious topics, but some more lighthearted things too, like the um, keep Mary out of the kitchen. I thought that was really sweet. And I guess the one thing that I wanted is a little bit more of a sense of character with the setting. A lot of people have been saying lately character before setting. I don't know if asked to be before, but I think I would like a little bit more in it, you know, in earlier. But that is a personal preference.
3: What I didn't get a sense of, either from the query or from the writing, is what's the beating heart of the book? You mentioning that also brought that up to my mind. In the query, um, because
2: I'm not surprised that people... In, even in its current form, it's already so strong. So I'm not surprised that you've gotten requests already. But I think to even in, entrap the interest, I don't know why I use the word entrapped, um, but <laughs> gain the interest, sorry, of other agents. Getting a, a firmer sense. I get the big picture of your of your memoir. I get, you know, kind of the overarching themes or, or ideas that you want your, your book to invoke. But I didn't understand kind of point for point in your mini synopsis within your, within your query letter, you know, what is your trajectory, you know, or or the trajectory of you within this memoir? You know, what do we what do we see you do? What happens? You know, of course, you can't you know truncate all of it into a query, but just getting some sense of of some plot beats. I know that sounds weird because it's your actual life, so it's not really a plot. But for lack of a better term, <laughs> some plot beats, just so, so make your your an already strong query even more
5: vivid. I just wanted to say something. I know. Having worked with writers so many years as many agents have to get a rejection, but a friend of mine wrote a memoir and got the nastiest email from an agent of which I have read the memoir many times and was horrified a week later. She had three offers for her memoir. Sometimes it's about timing. And the one thing that's hard sometimes to, to explain to writers, so much of it is personal. You know what I may respond to when I read a book and want to develop for television may be different than someone else. And that's hard when you can't necessarily know what, what appeals to them. Hopefully, as many of the agents said, what they're interested in and I would gear my query letters to the um, sensibilities. If you've done your research of the agents, I don't believe there's one log line. I don't believe there's one query. I found that's been very effective when I've asked writers to make changes when we're reaching out to agents. So I, I, it goes with the territory because it's the, this is just lovely writing and uh, I thank you very much for the wonderful imagery, very touchy.
1: Thank you. All right, so next up, we have Subba's pick. We have Heather Gallagher, nominated by Kay Bailey. Kay, would you come up and say a few words? I know I saw both of you. Hi. Yes, Kay, hi. Hi. <laughs> it's
10: great to be here, thanks, Jessica. I was really excited when Heather asked me to nominate her. Heather and I met about six years ago at the home of a mutual writing friend, and straight away we hit it off. We shared the same interest in writing for children. And so since then, we've been meeting for coffee and we just talk nonstop about writing, the industry, everything about it. And we, you know, we share our goals, dreams, everything together with our writing. Look, Heather's passion for children is just never stops She's completely passionate about writing she never gives up even when things are not going so great and i've always found that incredible and her story tilly and the terrible troll is an example of her wonderful humor and heart and ability to write a really fresh story something really unique and so look i'm just really delighted to be here and i think that with the guidance from the right agent or editor Heather's stories could really just shine, be out there in the world for children. I would love to see that.
1: Okay, thank you so much. That was lovely. And Heather, are you ready? I'm ready. I think you're the one in the library that everyone was commenting on earlier. We all want your room.
11: Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it's great. It's actually my husband's man cave, but I'll take it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kate, for those beautiful words. Shall I start reading my query? Yes, please. please. Okay. Dear Agent, Tilly and the Terrible Troll, 330 Words, is a picture book aimed at children aged four to seven, which personifies a little girl's inner critic. Tilly is desperate for her terrible troll to go away, but it follows her everywhere, to school, to ballet, and even into bed. A nightlight and a hundred teddies, what a baby. <laughs> Her attempts to get rid of the troll fail until she learns how to live with it. With themes of anxiety, perfectionism, and self-criticism, the story complements titles such as New York Times, bestseller, What Do You Do With A Problem? Compendium Publishing 2016 by Kobe Amada, and The Most Magnificent Thing, Kids Can Press 2014 by Ashley Spires. However, unlike picture books dealing with problems or depression, this story specifically targets negative self-talk. I'm a published Australian author seeking representation in the international market. My most recent picture book, Scaredy Cat, 2018, was published in Australia and the UK by New Frontier Publishing. I am a member of SCBWI, Julie Headland's 12 by 12 Picture Book Challenge and my local Victorian Writers Association. As a neurodiverse author, Tilly and the Terrible Troll is partly inspired by my own mental health journey. I have vast experience talking about my mental health experiences from promoting my picture book, Happy Pants 2014. Based on my experience of postnatal depression, the book was a recommended title in the Australian Family Therapist Awards for Children's Literature. Thanks for considering my work. Yours sincerely, Heather Gallagher. Thank you, Heather.
1: Okay, whenever you're ready.
11: Okay. Tilly and the Terrible Troll. Tilly had a terrible troll. She didn't like it, but it followed her everywhere. To school. You really are hopeless at (laughs) math. And ballet? Such a clots. Even into bed. A nightlight and a hundred teddies? What a baby. Tilly tried to please her troll. She finished her math worksheet before anyone else. I bet you've made a mistake. She practised her ballet at home. What's the point? And she even put away some of her teddies. "'Still need the nightlight, though, don't you?' The troll gave Tilly tummy aches and headaches and sleepless nights. "'Leave me alone!' shouted Tilly.
1: Thank you so much. Okay, so we asked how your process has been going so far, and you said you've only submitted to one agent so far and received a standard form rejection. I had interest from a mental health publisher, but they ultimately passed saying it wasn't distinct enough for their list. You said you'd like to know whether identifying yourself as a neurodiverse author helps your query and would be curious about the panel's thoughts on this. And other than that, are the query and first page enticing enough? So... Saba, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, why you chose this work and the suggestions you have?
4: Okay. Um, Well, first of all, uh, thank you for sharing your work with us. I have to say I was swayed partly by Kay's incredibly warm nomination. I thought, wow, you know, I think to have a friend like that who has that much faith in you would go out of your way to write this lovely letter. I mean... I loved it. And I said, well, you know, this must be worth reading. And so then I quickly found Heather's manuscript and then I read it and I was, I love, I I, I love the idea behind it. There's so much I love behind it, but let me just, let me go back a bit and sort of go step by step to give you a bit of a more coherent critique. So I do want to mention, and I'm not sure if it, if it's useful, Jessica, you can tell me if it's not. But I had a couple of thoughts on the query. Yeah. Or would you rather I talk more about the
1: manuscript? Oh, no, everything. We want to help the whole writer here. OK,
4: great. So the query works really well. For me, I think you use, so the comp titles you used are very specific, are books that have a tone that are not very similar to your manuscript, right? I know that they're sort of doing the same thing and that they address mental health issues. But I think you may be throwing the agent off, the agent considering, if you mention what you do with a problem, for example. Your story is more sort of, it feels more accessible. And we would sometimes use the word commercial for it, although I beg to defer. I think even literary works can be commercial in that they they have sales potential. But your story is much more sort of, you know, you can hear the voices of the trolls and you can hear her say, leave me alone. And, you know, I love that. I love that. You know, it's such a good read aloud. It's a read aloud in a very animated commercial way, whereas the books that you mentioned are, are more sort of lyrical, you know, they're a little different. So I don't think that they're bad comp titles to use necessarily. I just think that it may it may be more useful for you to specify that that they're just comp titles in the theme. And you might want to pick another comp title for a book that is tonally more similar to what you're doing just so that when the agent is considering your work and forming that picture in their mind about whether they want to continue reading or whether they're interested in the book, that they have that X meets, meets Y thing where it's, oh yeah, X in theme, Y in tone, I'm intrigued, right? That's that's what I would um, recommend you do. Other than that, everything else is great. So i um, jumping straight into the manuscript. But first of all, actually, before I do that, I do want to address your concern as to whether or not identifying yourself as neurodiverse helps your query. I think the question of identifying yourself at all in any case is very personal. I don't feel you should feel compelled to do it if you are uncomfortable doing that. That is absolutely paramount, at least to me. Um, I certainly do not think, or at least I hope, that you mentioning that you're neurodiverse will harm you. It shouldn't, and I don't think it would even, because I know I'm personally interested, very interested in looking at manuscripts from neurodiverse people, people from all kinds of marginalized communities. And I know that I forgot to mention this in my whole preamble because I always assume that's a normal thing. And I feel like people mention it and I, and then I think, well, if I didn't mention it, maybe people think I'm not interested. But I am absolutely interested in narratives that are both written by and about people who are not necessarily fitting in the mold of what's traditionally considered everybody else in their environment. And I mean, and I I say it like that because I know it's different to be marginalized in one area versus in another in the world. And I know you're in Australia, right? So you're in Australia, right? Okay. (laughs) So, you know, it's different to be marginalized there versus here in identity, in race, in gender identity, sexual preference, um, disability, or any kind of ability in your neuro Typicalness looks different everywhere. So I'm actually very interested in knowing that because I want to support more people who are writing from the margins. And it would make me happier to know that I would be doing that. At the same time, I would want to go back to your, the initial point I made, which was, you shouldn't do it if you don't want to do it. I think it's something you really need to feel empowered. It's a choice you have. You, And this is true, I think in general, for everything you do in this relationship with your agent. Anything you reveal, anything you want to discuss, it's your choice. We are agent, we are author advocates, and we're here to help you sort of figure out your careers the way you want to be known and recognized and identified. If you don't want to be known as neurodiverse, that's fine. That's up to you. But you certainly should not harm you. Okay, so back to the manuscript, which honestly I feel like I have very limited things to say that are critical. I really loved... I'm just going to pull up the the manuscript. I really love the economy of prose. I really love how simple your language is. She didn't like it, but it followed her everywhere. There is so much innate musicality and narrative tension in your writing that I really enjoyed. And, of course, the fact that your narrative moves from school to ballet to when she does her homework and then into bed, you know, again, sort of this is hitting exactly the kind of pattern we want to see in picture books, which is we want to see a small child go through the course of their day because it creates narrative tension. It's, you know, and of course the troll being, you know, mean, it's, it's so, it rings very true, but it's not mean in a way where I would, I would think that a parent would be like, wow, I don't want my child to read this kind of mean language. You're not being mean specifically with your language, it's just you can imagine the way you first, uh, you read out your own manuscript, that's how I would imagine it being read out, which is perfect, right? Just the fact that you can feel Tilly's soul kind of shrink inwards as, as she hears those words. It's, anyone would feel that way, right? And it, I mean, they don't, they don't even have to. And, and the thing is that I know you're, you're speaking about this from a personal space, and there are certainly children who feel this more than other children, But all people feel this way. All people have those inner negative critics, right? And it's such a universal feeling and concept that you're exploring with such accessibility. The fact that she tried to please her troll, the fact that you personify her anxiety, and you you create this image of someone trying to mitigate it by making the anxiety feel better. Maybe I should sort of You know, succumb to that. And that idea, again, it's such a powerful one and it would raise such an interesting conversation for a parent to have with their child after reading the story, for example. Why would they do that? Would you do that? Do you do that? You know, that kind of thing. I loved that. And of course, the pun what's the point? I loved that. You know, it's unexpected, it's humor, it's so subtle. And the, the parent will definitely chuckle inwardly while reading that. Perhaps the child won't know, but then the parent can teach their child. This is a pun. You know, I just, I love that. You know, it's, there. the manuscript is operat- operating at many different levels here, right? With the language, with the themes, with sort of what you're doing um, and what you're encouraging your pa- the parent reading or the educator reading to engage the child with. And I like the line, even the line, the troll gave Tilly tummy aches. And headaches and sleepless nights. There is a, there's an innate ennui to that line. You know, it's just endless. This feeling of weight. You know, and and these these topics are so difficult to talk about, even with adults, but especially with children. But you're doing it with such a light, fun kind of story. You almost don't even realize it's serious. And that's so so hard to do. Which is why when I read this, I was like, well, I have to let Heather know. She shouldn't be worrying at all. <laughs> like this is. This is great. Um, in terms of some very slight um, pieces of feedback, that line, the troll gave t- Tilly tummy aches and headaches and sleepless nights. I would, I would lose the ellipses. Generally speaking, I'm not a fan of ellipses in in picture books. Or generally speaking, even in prose, I feel like if you can avoid them, you should try and construct your, you reconstruct your sentence to perhaps be shorter or use a semicolon if you need to. Of course, not a semicolon here in this children's picture book test. I would just use a comma or just make it cleaner, tighter. I like the interplay of how I can imagine that there's a primary narrative and then the troll is saying something, right? And the way I visualize it is the troll has a speech bubble, right? Yeah. Within the illustration. And then there's the actual narration on top. And that's a very popular, perfectly fine way to sort of write out your manuscript. But towards the end, when Anne, when Tilly says, leave me alone, I wondered, was that meant to be in the speech bubble or was that meant to be within the narrative? And that threw me off. And that would throw me off while reading the manuscript because I would think, well, is the author intentional about the vision? Is the author thinking about the speech bubble idea? Was I wrong? And then I would think, wait, is the narration working? Is the troll interacting with Tilly in the main narrative or just in the secondary speech bubble illustrated narrative? So I would avoid that. Um, confusion, either make it clearer with illustration notes. And I know people don't like illustration notes and neither do I, but in situations like this, you want to make sure you have that, you have clearly sort of accounted for any kind of confusion that may arise from something you're doing that's slightly different from what you've done previously in the manuscript. So that's something I would, one way or the other, if you want it to be in a speech bubble or not, make it clearer. And yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of feedback more than that. I would definitely read on. It's such, I mean, the first page of a picture book is literally like five lines. So I'm definitely on board, you know, conceptually, the fact that I can see that you have a sense of pulling the narrative forward, right? You, you know that each spread has to be a different scene, and that will provide sort of a variety of images for the child to look at, different parts of the child's day, Tilly's going to school, ballet, all of that stuff. And that shows me that you're not, there's some, it's the, the narrative is not static, right? And, and I love that, of course, in this particular, I can feel that now that Tilly's leave, saying, leave me alone, the narrative is about to change. It's at a pivot point. And there's something happening here. Tilly's about to confront, actually confront her in her de- and that's exciting to me because that would also sort of echo what we all say to our children and the children we interact with that you know you, you should you should confront what what's bothering you and in this case Tilly's just like leave me alone and that's just it's so sweet and you're just you just want to say go Tilly you can do this you know what I mean and that's great
12: Anyway.
3: Oh. Yeah, so I, we're going to have to fight for Heather because I, I, I requested her full last week. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, the uh, similar stuff, I, the, the economy of language. This is something yeah. I talked to. People people about all the time not a word wasted the voice voice in spades in such a tiny space you get a sense of the of, of of tilly's voice and the troll's voice and it's and also it's a gift for an illustrator you're not telling the illustrator what to do but it's really clear that the illustrator can bring their art and their creativity and build an even richer story so a, a wonderful momentum like like saba i i just wanted to know what happens next so here's the thing which i think is probably quite fun for you guys to hear because we were talking about agents and taste and stuff i flippin love ellipses i love <laughs> ellipses I all over my books i have a little, uh, maureen fergus who's doing a wonderful book about a thousand year old um vampire who takes up ice hockey and finds he's really terrible at it called Glory on Ice and literally the whole book's ellipses because for me it's a sense of anticipation. It's like <gasps> the, and 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 this are illustration notes. I flip in love illustration notes. I, sometimes I like to know what's going on and I like a hint I don't like over directive illustration notes because what the number one Thing that my illustrated clients don't like is being told they are given an illustration. They next to me and they go, "This is not an illustration. This is a flipping animated sequence. It would take me eight pages to do this illustration note." So, the the, the funnily enough, I was critiquing for someone this morning, and we talked about this. And I think what you want to do is tell that story as as this wonderful writer has done. And there's plenty of gaps in the story for the illustrator, but she's not telling the illustrator how to fill those gaps. The story has momentum. And just just finally, a couple of things. First of all, market. We haven't talked about gritty things like market. Right now, this is what people are looking for: books that help 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 young kids on their journey through life and help them deal with tough emotions now more than ever, I reckon there's a bunch of editors I can think of right now who would want to read this. And the other thing, you talked about your own your you know, your own neurodiversity. To me that adds so much because you know what you're talking about. You're coming to this from own voices of general thing, but you've been through this and that the fact you've been through it communicates itself even in these very very economical words, simple words. So I think celebrate it, put it out there.
1: We had a lovely comment in the chat and, and the chat is so supportive. Thank you guys for being so lovely, but it sounds like, let me find it, doors, Dora Marilyn has, after that, Marilyn has a comment. Okay. Yes.
5: What articulate agents. I thought this was utterly charming and lovely. And one thing I always ask of writers, why are you the right person to write this story? And number two, I'm sure many people know this, more than ever, every major, with a few exceptions, production company has a kid's programming today, whether it's from Apple. Imagine just companies that never were involved because it's become such a popular market adapting books for television. And I think the fact that you touch on mental illness, there's so many television shows in the last couple of years that deal with autism, depression, et cetera, but they're with adults. I I just think this is wonderful. And I think there's a life for it outside of books, outside of a book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know know how much there's children programming in Australia, but certainly in the US, just a huge market. Great. Thanks, Marilyn. And I love this
1: comment from Endor in the comments. She says, my six-year-old hearing the first page said it was very interesting. That's really sweet. That's
0: amazing. I love that. So, I mean, that was a pretty successful dream team conversation.
1: So let's hit another one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next, I would like to go to Marilyn's choice. Marilyn has chosen White and Sia Jones and Ashley Paul. So White and Sia and Ashley, would you please come up? Ashley, would you come up and say a few words if you're here?
13: Yeah, so I had put out a call for authors in the, the Facebook group to read the first 10 pages of my novel. And she was someone who reached out to me. And offered her help. And I was, she was actually, I think, the first person to. And I was very thankful. She provided some great feedback to me. But with her story, I was just instant. I just could not scroll fast enough. Being engaged with Bianca, her main character, um, the life, and just every, the way that she told the world, yet centered Bianca in her own story, I was really amazed by it and provided her some feedback with that. So I really just wanted an opportunity to thank her for the work, the um, support that she gave to me um, with this nomination and also propel her to um, get this book published because I think her main character and her story is worth time in this world.
1: Right. That's lovely. And, and I'm so happy you met in the Facebook group. Yeah, we will send the link to everybody if you are not yet a member of the Facebook group. Okay. White and Sia, are you ready?
7: Dear agent, I am seeking representation for my women's fiction novel. I am excited to send you Broken Wings Still Fly, 68,000 words. I watched your podcast on Blank, where you discuss your most recent sale. You mention your love for emotional books that explore friendships, relationships, and loss. My novel contains those things. The moment I read your wish list on the publisher's market, I knew you would be an excellent fit because you love character-driven stories with big topics and hopeful endings. A surprise proposal on Bianca's college graduation night seems like a fairy tale until she finds out her fiance Deshawn's catfishing and overtime working are spent elsewhere. Desperate to keep the woman he loves, Deshawn agrees to premarital counseling with Bianca, Taunted by her own insecurities, Bianca unearths his porn addiction and ex-boyfriend. Now she's torn between the happily ever after she thought she was living and confronting the truth. If Bianca goes with her heart, she'll choose the man who picks her flowers and buys her favorite candy bar just to see her Kool-Aid smile. If Bianca goes with her mind, she'll his lies and faces the shame in their small town with their wedding party. With the fallout of her best friend, Bianca has no one else to turn to. Bianca begins an uneasy walk of faith to decide on marrying the man she loves or leaving him for good. Broken Wings Still Fly is based on a true story. This own voices novel will appeal to fans of A Beautiful Terrible Thing and This Is Me Letting You Go. What readers will love most about this book is Bianca's candor as she faces strife, forgiveness, and healing. My vision for this novel consists of creating a mentoring group to uplift women who suffers from broken marriages, relationships, and friendships. I am an ELA educator in the public school setting. I have a BA in creative writing and a master's in secondary ed- education English. I spend most of my time outside of teaching, exploring natures at parks, painting canvas, cooking, and watching Hallmark Christmas movies year round. <laughs> Woo. All right, so the first chapter. Bianca Brown, the man, says on the microphone. The camera displays me on a big projector screen. Alongside, my name spelled completely correct for the first time ever. I present all teeth with cheer and walk across the stage to receive the degree I've put my heart and soul in for years. Howls, screams, and air horns, and Go Bianca surrounds the Donovan Center gym. I'm elated, but I can't stop my legs from trembling. Everything happens so quick on stage. I shake hands with the green faculty. You'd think they've just hit the lotto and I'm the winning ticket. I take tons of pictures too. The last photo I take isn't enough to relax my jaws. My face is still on say cheese mode as I walk back to my seat. The good thing is that I'm finally off the stage. I take a deep sigh. That's it. I really did it. I chuckle a bit as if I've conquered the world and didn't die from my hallucination of tripping on stage, smashing my face on the floor in front of hundreds of people. I arrive back to my seat and look straight into the crowd to find my boyfriend. There he is, rosy cheeks, watery eyes, and shivery lips. The first time I've ever seen him cry. Our eyes meet. I give a crooked smile at him, trying to cover his face with the ceremony roster. He doesn't want me to see him being soft. The commencement continues and becomes a dread. All I hear is blah, 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 because now I've got my bachelor's degree and I'm eager to go celebrate. I think of the honey wings, cheese dip, and the marble cake that awaits me at my house. I somehow survived through the remaining monotone ceremony by keeping the one thing I felt proud of in mind. I had earned my wings, as my family would say.
1: So we asked how your process has been going so far. You said you've been querying since June. You've received form letters and personalized feedback. The personalized feedback always mentions the strong narrative voice, but the spiritual elements in the book usually is the reason for their subjective decline and you have some questions. How long should you query with, without receiving partial or full request before you hire a developmental editor or give up on the book? And is it harder to get a book published with spiritual elements versus a book without spiritual elements? So Marilyn, why don't you talk a little yes. bit about why you chose this one?
5: First of all, I want to thank you because you hooked me right away. Her graduation juxtaposed later on with her seeing her boyfriend. I have two qu- None of the spiritual elements come up, obviously, in the first page that I read. If you could tell me what those elements are, because to me it seems a very powerful story about a woman who finds her own voice and her own identity and who she is. I think it's fascinating that you go into her boyfriend wanting to, do something to keep the relationship intact. But as she begins to unravel who he really is, we find out more and more. So I think that's a very interesting, relatable position for a lot of people that have have been in that. So my question is, where are the spiritual elements and what do they
7: involve? So the spiritual elements come right after the big reveal once she, um, once Bianca finds out the dark secrets about Deshaun, she then begins to feel alone and lost, and she goes back to her roots. She grew up in a church family, so she goes back down that road, but then she struggles a lot with finding her identity and and accepting to really just give the situation to God versus her trying to battle it on her own. So she deals with depression and other things, and she just finds faith in forgiving and loving herself in the end.
5: Okay. So I have, I have two comments. You, The cops that you reference deal with women getting out of abusive relationships or relationships that are not about equals. And yet you're talking, I don't see it spiritual per se, you know, her belief in finding a path through God. So I know you only queried one agent. What do you think people are responding to that you've called? I think it's a really interesting book, what, the first page that I read, but where I think you're going. So I'm wondering if you could use other comps okay. and what would those comps be?
1: That's a big question. Comps are really hard. <laughs> I
2: have a suggestion. Um, it sounds like your work fit in the same vein as Victoria Christopher Murray. Uh, She does a lot of like books about family dynamics and especially women coming into their own that also usually have like a spiritual aspect. Yeah. Up to in some way. Um, And so pulling her up on Goodreads and looking at some of her, her books, I feel like they fit really well with yours.
5: And I think also you may want to pitch this a little differently. Exactly what you said, yes, it's about a young woman after graduation finding out who she is and stop identifying in terms of her boyfriend. And you may even want to use the word, this is a big word that we use a lot, secrets that are revealed and how those secrets impact her as a woman that's uh, forging her own identity. And I think your suggestion is very good question. And I also don't think querying one agent. I, I think you might want to reach out to seven agents, just, just so you get an idea. I always say, to her, if you're getting the same response over and over again, you need to pay attention. I don't think one person's response is totally valid. But again, I would change the comps. You also mentioned it's based on a true story. Is this partially your true story?
7: It's actually all of my true story, but I just changed the character's name. So, you know, and like character's description, you know, for legal reasons.
1: But it's your story. But most first novels are based on the author. So I don't know. I think it's beautiful and I'm loving the supportive
5: comments. Oh, I... (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you again. The juxtaposition from the mundane—not really mundane—of a, a graduating college, you're supposedly adult, an adult now, and you know when you you talk about your boyfriend crying, and then you reveal what happens on later in the story. I love that. Great, thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Would anyone else like to jump in? Great,
0: Sabah.
4: I also wanted to say, I think Marilyn mentioned this and then you mentioned this as well in the feedback you were getting that I found the voice to be very personable. I loved how connected we are to Bianca. I want to know more about her. I love the sense of the place where you started the story being, you know, there's this sense of endless possibility with her and she just graduated. She's free. She's young. She she has a degree. She has a boyfriend. and you're, And I feel like if I were to pick up this book, it would probably be marketed with the darker themes kind of on the cover. But then with that, with that opening, I'd be like, oh my God, something's gonna happen. Yeah. That feeling, that would make me keep reading for sure. Not just the beginning, which is so strong, but also just that, that impending doom feeling. I can, I can see that happen because it starts so joyfully. And I, I feel Bianca's confidence. It's really great. I love that. And I love strong being protagonists. protagonist so, Yeah, I think it's really great. I think also just to comment on the sort of the spiritual aspect of it, I think that, you know, you could, uh, I agree with Marilyn, you should definitely query wider because I mean, there's just so much of a range of um, opinions and a lot of our opinions are so subjective. We can't really help how we think kind of pour into what we think is saleable, right? But if you're if you're seeing that a lot of people are feeling that the spiritual elements are not to their taste, the 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 market for inspirational women's fiction is very large and it it's very healthy and it's extremely difficult to find a very good writer in that market that isn't like very, you know, already very established, has you know a big bag list who's in their mid-50s, you know? So I know there are agents and editors who are working in that space who are really hungry for fresh, new, diverse, marginalized perspectives writing in the inspirational space. So if you're finding that that is some feedback you're getting, if you were just to sort of reframe your query and this, and choosing yes. the right comps also works in this sense to reframe your query to say this is a women's fiction sort of. Domestic women's fiction with an inspirational bent or something like if you write if you use that term inspirational, because that's how that's the word we use in the industry to describe books that have sort of an element of faith in them, you will automatically, the agents who request your work will want to see that. They will want to see kind of the that element. And a lot of readers are definitely interested in reading those stories. So, Um, I would never tell an author, oh, this has religious stuff. And no, that's not good. Because I feel like, again, that's just limiting. And there are all kinds of people who read all kinds of stories and find comfort in all avenues. And you could definitely think about repositioning your manuscript and your query, if you feel that is sort of feedback you're getting more consistently. So there's definitely another option, if you keep getting that feedback. It's not It's not feedback that should make you abandon your your manuscript. It's feedback that should make you rethink how you position
5: it. I want to comment something. I do think making the book, as I said, I haven't read but the first page, a little darker and then introduce the spiritual element or combine together, I think it has wider appeal in terms of the marketplace. But thank you so much.
7: Thank you. Thank all of you guys for your great feedback. I don't know great. if you saw
1: the comments go by, but a lot of people loved the um, the say cheese line. A lot of people <laughs> said that they want the marble cake now. And I think everyone is just rooting for you. So, hooray. Um, does anyone else want to say anything about this project?
7: All
0: right, let's hit the next one.
1: Okay, it is time for Fiona's pick. We have Carly Youssef, nominated by Jenna Fagan. Jenna, would you come up and say a few words about Carly? Of
6: course. So as I said in my nomination letter, I met Carly in grad school. Uh, I was there getting my master's in publishing, goals of becoming an editor and later a literary agent, and Carly was getting her MFA. And we were in a classroom setting, and I, you know, turn around, I heard someone talking about this book that sounded so interesting and like I wanted to read it, and I turned around and it's Carly talking about her thesis, and so then I decided to write kind of then and there, like, oh, I want to get to know her. And you know, her that her writing's appeal, I think, has you know carried throughout her writing career, and it's something that I think or I hope will really stand out to literary agents reading her query as well. In this query in particular, I just loved her details and the description and how it really places the reader right in that setting. So, for example, when she's talking about an office setting, the object she describes in that office gives you such a clear picture of who inhabits that office, like what kind of person they are, and what kind of family this is in the story.
1: And Carly, would you like to come up and read your query and page? Yes, thank you so much.
12: Love you, Jenna. You're the best. (laughs) The Seven Doors of Phil House is a standalone Y.A. low fantasy novel at approximately 65,000 words. For three generations, magical doors have sprouted spontaneously at Phil House, bringing with them access to other worlds and granting the Philby family complete ownership over that access. The Philbys are a family of scholars, but collectors to their core. And under the guise of academia and exploration, they experiment with the resources in these worlds in search of a profitable discovery. The Philbys have made it their pride and profession to guard the six doors of Phil House, creating a familial secret society, the Order of the Doors, to protect and explore these worlds. 18-year-old Olive Philby is the night custodian for the Order of the Doors, but she likes to consider herself more of a bodyguard.
5: How do I respond uh, Uh,
12: entrusted with the graveyard shift at Phil House, her family's Mm -hmm. estate, Olive patrols the six doors every night, making sure no one travels through the doors unsupervised, and more importantly, nothing and no one comes out. The night custodian is the least prestigious position a Philby can earn, and Olive is all too aware of her standing in her family. According to her mother and most senior order members, she lacks the proper Philby qualities. The dedication of a scholar the tact of an explorer, and the shrewdness of a leader. All Olive wants is to earn the respect of her family, but her chaotic work ethic and desire for relationships and experiences outside of Phil House continue to maintain the divide. However, when Olive discovers a new door at Phil House and a murdered otherworlder strewn over its entrance, entrance, she must embark down a path that will further challenge her relationship with her family. As she investigates the murder and explores the seventh door of Phil House, she must confront her family's position and power and figure out the type of Philby she wants to be. I graduated with my MFA from Emerson College in 2018, and I've been published in Prime Number Magazine and the Eckerd Review. I was previously a writing consultant at multiple collegiate writing centers and a high school creative writing instructor. Currently, I'm living in Boston working as a copy editor. Thank you for your time and consideration. Sincerely, Carlisa. (laughs) Doors grew like weeds at Phil House, quite sneakily when no one was looking. Most of the Philbys had come to expect that on the most unassuming day, a door could sprout into existence within their four-story manor. But seven-year-old Olive Philby didn't know that yet. She was still a few years away from being cordially invited to that conversation. So on the chilliest Tuesday in October, she was blissfully unaware of the turn her evening would take. Olive had been skating down the hallway in her fuzziest socks, practicing her pirouettes and slide tackling the anti-credenza when she heard a low whistle coming from her grandfather's study. It was an odd sort of whistle, not a joyous sing-song, but a deep round bass, much like when Olive and her cousins blew into the tops of soda bottles. Skidding to a graceless stop, Olive nudged, opened the door, and poked her head inside. The room was empty and dark. Most of the Philbys spent their evenings listening to recorded lectures of past Philbys i slid through the doorway and started searching the large office for the source of the whistling. It didn't come from the insects tacked up in glass or the animal hive musical instruments, not the glass canisters of pebbles or the volumes of leather bound books for a few minutes. She thought the wooden frog sculptures on the bookshelf were singing to her. But as she made her way to the back corner of the room, she realized it was coming from a closet door. It was an unusually decorative door for a closet door. The majority was made of dark, glossy mahogany, but the top portion was a mosaic of crystal. What seemed like a million triangular shards of glass formed a large starburst in the center, beautiful from a distance, but chaotic up close. She hadn't remembered seeing this door before, but she was often shooed out of the office before she could even touch the wall of bone flutes. Olive pressed her ear up to the glass and felt the whistling thrum against the panes. With a triumphant smile, she grabbed the crystal knob and yanked open the door. She was nearly knocked backwards by the blazing white sunlight and gusts of wind that rushed through the doorway. She threw up a hand to shield her eyes and tried blinking away the black spots decorating her vision. When she could see properly, the scene before her made her knees buckle. Through the, door, through the door's slender archway was a glen of trees. They arched toward the cloudless sky, twisting in grand curves, Their boughs were filled with lush greens and delicate pale flowers. As the wind raked through the leaves, the sunlight glinted to the beat of the whistle music, for it truly felt like music now. What was a mellow thrum tuned into a beautiful orchestra, each leaf flower and blade of grass filling her ears with a stirring, bewitching harmony as they swayed in the wind, before Olive knew what she was doing.
3: Yay! Thank you. And and especially when there were a few little distractions going on. I I really really appreciate you hanging in there. I'm just going to take a moment and go, this is so good. And, you know, there were three that I really, really liked. And I was like, but this one just, it it just called to me. And I I shared it with my assistants. And and, and both of us were like, "Are are you sure this isn't published already? It's just so confidence and 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 that first line i mean i think everybody was with me i was looking at the chat going yeah great first line for three generations and, and and in your query three generations of magical doors have sprouted spontaneously at thrill house this, Spontaneity. Isn't that what everyone wants? This is better than a wardrobe. This is spontaneous door jumping. It's wonderful. And then and granting the Philby family complete ownership over the access to other worlds. So it's something private that she owns. So Perfect setup. Then we learn a bit about the Filbies—they're scholars and collectors. You've got that kind of steampunky Victoriana thing going on, which you pick up and run with with the mahogany and, and so on. So, so we know where the world we're in and profitable discovery. This is what they do. Um, a familial secret society. So you've got it all disrupted and who's going to disrupt it this this chaotic girl with her chaotic work ethic. And I, I actually have a bit of a passion I should have mentioned earlier. I read this wonderful book, this during the pandemic called the other bennett girl and it's it's the story of mary bennett from pride and prejudice told from her point of view and i i i'm sort of totally into this at the moment the the, the girl who doesn't fit in because everybody else is fitting in with the family and you've got the expectations and you're trying but you just don't have you just don't fit and isn't that Every teenager's experience, and I just this one really spoke to me that she 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 lacks the she lacks the dedication of a scholar, she lacks the tact of the explorer. I love tactless tactless girls. That is me. And um, what was the other one? And the shrewdness of a leader. But yet she wants to she wants their respect. So we've got this wonderful setup already. I love the fact that she's already upgraded herself. She's basically a custodian at night, but she's upgraded herself to bodyguard. A little bit of a little bit of spice there, a little bit of sass. And this is—we're only two pages in, uh, two paragraphs into your query. I haven't even started on the rest of the, the manuscript. And then, blow me! You've thrown a murder. I was like, "Whoa! I did not see that coming." This is a murder mystery. Whoa! And what I love is that you know it's doors it's girls who don't fit in it's a girl being taken for granted and you know and, the, and there's little bits of humor in there as well so so yeah you you'd totally be won me over so, and then you've got this wonderful pristine bio and I'm like, oh, safe pair of hands, knows what she's doing. Lovely prose style. I mean, I could just lose myself in your language. The the, the sensuality, the color, the music. So so then we do something unexpected and you, you take us back to seven-year-old Olive. And here's the really interesting thing. Again, talking about competence as a writer, as soon as you're writing about... Seven-year-old Olive. It feels middle grade. This—I was totally in her point of view. She's got her fuzziest socks. There's her voice. These are my fuzziest socks, and she skids to a graceless stop. You know exactly what how that is. It's like, shut. You know, I could do it right now. <laughs> and we know what's going on. And, we, and and you've got this lovely beginning that 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 this. You know, all the other rest of the family expect doors to pop up but this is her first time and we're sharing it with her and wow isn't that super exciting I am mean, literally chills chills and then you get a little bit of input into what the Thilbys are like the Thilbys spend their evenings listening to recorded lectures or past Thilbys what an interesting family that is. Doesn't it? It, so again, economy, just like Heather, in just a few words, you've got this picture of what are they like? Well, they're pretty insular. They're not super interested in other ideas. They go to other worlds, but they're not super interested in those either. It's this tight-knit little society. And if you don't fit in, how is that going to feel? And plus, it's funny. And you've done all of that. In this tiny, tiny matter of time. And then we move on to the visuals, the animal hide musical instruments, the glass canisters of pebbles, the wooden frog sculptures. We're all there. And it's you know, this is this is not this is not a modern house. This is a house that's been around for a while and it's dark and you get the sense of smell, and then and then she 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 gets, this door pops up and with a triumphant smile yeah I'm going to win this. She yanks the door and, whoa, it's another world. So, so, so really beautiful great start fantastic so um I've got to ask so what inspired this because here's the thing usually I do these things and my 10 minute minute consult consults can sometimes sorry Julie and Jessica go on for about an hour because I get so into it and if it was just the two of us I would have you telling me the story because I am longing to know the shape and so on and what happens but what is the beating heart what was the inspiration that light bulb moment where you thought, I have to put this down on paper.
12: Yeah, well, probably uh, my Pinterest is just full of doors, like beautiful architecture of doors. <laughs> <It is.
3: laughs> yeah, so that
12: was probably like the spark. But then also I just feel like a lot of the times we have these really strong women with these swords and like are tearing down beasts. And I love those stories But I think like most of us don't encounter those all that often. And sometimes it's that like Neville bottom right, like standing up to your friends or standing up to your family and like in today's current climate it's like hard to do that when families are just mm-hmm. in and there's like more division so I think it probably came from that and like wanting to show a character that loves her family and like wants their respect but might totally disagree with their beliefs and like how do you really grapple with that?
3: And why did you want to start with her at seven? It's obviously pivotal. Yeah. Yet you thought- don't mention it in your query.
12: Yeah. (laughs) I was wondering about that too. (laughs) So I thought like we need to see her first experience because the rest, everything is so familiar to her. Um, And I wanted it to take off from the murder and from us knowing that she has just lived in this world, that she's not entering it right away. But I think her first experience with the Doors is so different from her family's. It's necessary to see her interact with it instead of being told about the Doors and get their perspective thrust upon her. Like she experienced it all herself th- all herself.
3: So wanted I wanted that, that freshness, so. that mm-hmm. coming to it fresh and seeing it from her point of view. So so talk to me a bit because obviously you're still grappling with that. So talk to me about what what, what what's troubling you about that start.
0: Yeah,
12: I just wasn't sure if like the opening paragraph felt like a false start.
0: Because Tell the rest of it you know
12: Yeah, just because the rest of it is in like her 18-year-old perspective. So I didn't want this other part to just feel so disconnected. So I wasn't like, oh, maybe it should just be like prologue as a seven-year-old, but that kind of feels like a (laughs) cop-out sometimes. (laughs) Um, So I wasn't sure if that opening, more omniscient narrator worked to bring us in. And then I could just thread that into like leading up to like her 18-year-old self. And that's kept like a little more perspective than being super close. I think I could shift it that way, but honestly, like didn't know which one was better or if it did feel disconnected. And I should just start with her like skating in her socks.
3: Oh, no, I don't think you need to do that. And one of the reasons I think you shouldn't do that is because it's not a middle grade book. And I think if you start with it skating in her socks, and I got to say, one of my assistant, my assistant just went, "Oh, I wish this was a middle grade," <laughs> because she fell in love with the seven-year-old character. So there's that. But I think it's, I think because it's not a middle grade, if you start with her skating in her socks, it will feel like a middle grade novel because that voice will be so strong. Whereas what you've got, that omniscient voice, I'll never find it. It it, it it gives you a little bit more distance, and I'm not quite sure how long you're you're going to spend with seven-year-old Olive, but I wouldn't spend way longer than this because otherwise it will come like a jolt. It'll feel like the story's going this way and then suddenly going that way, and that's not what you want. But but because you've got that distancing voice, the 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 the, uh, the, the omniscient narrator, I think it takes you in so that it's not going to feel like quite such a jolt when we move to um and it depends how you do it that transition is going to be super important but you did mention thinking of it as a prologue and I personally and I'm sure other agents will disagree with me but personally I don't really like prologues prologues are often a big red flag to me that the story is starting in the wrong place I think they really work in movies and my background was a bit in movies, and we've lost Marilyn, but, you know, that, that whole pre title <laughs> scene where you have James Bond skiing yeah. down the mountain, down the land, and shoots a few baddies, <laughs> takes back a few people, credits, and then we cut to the main story. That works, because that's, <laughs> hey guys, settle down, switch your phones off, put on the popcorn. Um, oh my God. You know, put down the popcorn. But with a book, often it's a flag that you're not starting the story in the right place. And I think your heart is that you are starting the story in the right place but you i think a lot depends on where you go from here and how you manage that transition and it's a little hard without seeing it, but at, at the moment i feel it's super confident and That's, um wow. i just yeah i don't know i just the fact that you i the only thing to me that makes me wonder if you need it is the fact that the query stands absolutely perfectly without any 7 year old child and if it was super important you probably mentioned it because you're you have good instincts I can tell yeah um,
0: so so Fiona can I can I yes
3: right. what I feel I feel
0: like it's happening I feel like you guys just fell into like the zone oh, <laughs> which is amazing to see all of a sudden we're like wow they're just in the zone like there's no one else in the room you guys are in the zone. <laughs> and you're talking about minutia. Almost. oh I'm sorry <laughs> no, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. But this is when, this is when like the energy between professional and writer kind of expands in such an interesting way. And, and like, this is kind of what you want when you work with someone else. You kind of want that feeling. Like Fiona was leaning in, Carly was leaning in. All of a sudden, it was like you guys were, it was like you were on like speed dating. And then... <laughs> and then
3: everyone (laughs) was like ding 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 (laughs) you guys are still i'm sorry i just get so into a story (laughs) everyone
1: Everyone is saying that um carly needs to query fiona
0: (laughs) (laughs) um, and then get on the phone (laughs) <laughs> i'm just looking at the time for everyone and i want if there's another expert that wants to chime in otherwise we have just a couple of quick things we want to be able to get other people some prizes and some opportunities oh, really quick
1: and some q a <laughs> also you all have been so. so patient it's been many hours we know so i know thank you so much for being here all of you look okay i'm just scrolling through everyone seems to still be awake this is great most yes. of you are up, right? Oh, some of you are waving. Great. Thank you. Yay. Oh, yay. It's, this is so cool. I love being able to see everyone's expression yeah. as we do this. This is very neat. So before we move on quickly, did any of the other panel have anything to say
4: about this one? I don't want to take too much of your time. I don't have anything that hasn't already been said much more eloquently, but I had <laughs> pretty much the same response. This is really beautiful prose. There's a certain timelessness and classic, I guess, to your tone, that it's just beautiful, the detailing, the, I love the, she was still a few years away from being cordially invited to that conversation. You know, there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of, you know, wit in there. There's an attitude in there. It's so slyly inserted. There's so many layers to this narrative. There's so many beautiful images, you know, the pirouettes and the credenza and, you know, again, skidding to the graceless stop, that, that's just dynamite. I mean, that image, I agree, Fiona, I was just like, you can it looks like this should be a movie, really. I thought it was really wonderful. I did want to also put in my two cents about the, the prologue thing. I too, like Fiona, I'm not a big fan of prologues. Um, but I, I think in this situation, I really do feel your gut is saying something and I'm trusting it. It seems like you want us to know, to want to be there in that moment. And I think that's okay. And I think it's also been difficult for me to determine without having read your voice in YA also, you know, I think if it's extremely disjointed feeling, I might say, well, if 98% of the book is in a specific voice, maybe not, but if it's different, but still feels cohesive You don't have to use the prologue word. (laughs) That's the dirty secret of public. No matter what, don't use the word. Just, you know, start and then 10 years later. Oh, okay. I can stomach that. Yeah, so <laughs> that's something to consider as well. And I won't go on, but yes, I absolutely great. loved it a lot and I would love to see it too. But I think um, I won't, you know, Fiona and you have something going on here. So,
3: what's what the writing equivalent oh, of get I a think. room? <laughs> 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 really, really good, Heather. We might as well duel over Carly as well. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank
0: um, you. Great. Did anyone else have anything? Are we good? Uh, do you
1: yes. want to do
2: prizes and then Q and A, or Q and A and then Kayla, prizes? Oh, Kayla, did you have, any- oh, any Kayla, did you have something? No, you're fine. Um, really quick, I was just gonna say, um, in wrestling with the child voice and like how it it relates to the adult voice, one book you might want to use as like a, a I don't know field guide or I don't know model is um, Shannon McGuire's The Middle Game, where a lot of that book starts with the main the protagonist is children and then blinks to them as adults and then it, it, there's a series of flashbacks also um with the prologue I also am not a fan of prologues and agree with Sa- uh, Saba's uh, recommendation if you just don't call it a prologue it's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one see it, it doesn't make a sound like if you call it a if you call it just chapter one is it really a prologue so yeah that's all I have to say thank you
0: <laughs> awesome so you guys I know that we we kind of had a clunker there we <laughs>
1: when I accidentally showed what we were doing next sorry (laughs) I forgot I was was screen sharing Stop it! (laughs) I mean of all the things that could be on a zoom accidentally a a spinner wheel is probably not the worst (laughs) okay so we want to do a couple I said we we know all of you that you came here
0: and you were hoping to win and like we wish we had like the ability to like do this for all of you and like we're gonna try to like as always build as much stuff as we can to help you all we thought it would be really fun to put some people's names in a spinner and randomly chosen so like
1: nothing like putting you on the spot you guys was right. such a so oh, we oh my gosh, I love this we've so, exported your names so right. we're going to get choose a name in random.org and then we're going to spin the wheel to see what prize you get oh I thought we were gonna let is that, is that what we're doing I think that's probably the easiest. Okay. (laughs) I was going to say something different. Okay. Okay. So let me hit random.org and I put all your names in there from the emails. Okay. The first winner is Shelly's. And is it safe to screen share now, Julie? Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. And I will screen share and spin the wheel. And Shelly gets one month of membership. Yay, Shelly. Yay. Okay. I'm going to stop share because I know how to do this now. The next person who gets a prize is Anna. And I'm going to share again so you can see the wheel. So Anna, you get Lemon drops. Julie got some fantastic candy today that she was. Yeah, it's not lemon drops. It's sunshine in a bag. (laughs) Oh, that wouldn't fit. So I put lemon drops.
0: (laughs) Sunshine in a bag. Yeah. Um, We're going to ask that the winners just email us with your addresses so we can get you all set up.
1: Okay. And then one more. Let's see. Vicki Erwin. And then let's see. Vicki's prize is... A query consultation meeting. Woo!
4: Yay, Vicki. <laughs>
0: so everyone here on the panel is available for that. Um, once again, if you're a winner, email us. And I think we have a couple more to pull as well. I know we're going late. And so anyone have a question?
1: Hi, Stephanie. Do you have a question? And a cat. Yeah, and
0: a cat. That's Max. He's been hanging out with us Hi, this Max. whole time.
14: He hasn't done anything embarrassing. So that was a, uh-huh. that was good. Question would be... If you are putting your work out there, you're putting your query letter out there, you're submitting, how do you know if it's the query letter that sucks or if it's the first page that sucks if you're not getting any feedback from any agents that are reading it, if they're not saying anything in particular about it?
1: Um, how many rejections and are they form or personal?
14: I've gotten five And one had a personal and the other ones were all
1: four. So you sent it to six people? Yeah. What did the personal one say?
14: (laughs) That was like a whole long story itself, but it came back because they had heard a reading that I had done from it. And they were like, oh, that was disappointing because I thought it'd be more like that. Oh. Oh. Huh. It's a query letter then, isn't it? It was the first... I don't know if it was like the, she didn't really say if it was the query letter or if it was the first page. There was no specifics. I didn't get an answer when I asked for.
2: Well, I would also add that when you get form rejections, it's it's I can imagine as a writer, it's easy to automatically assume, oh God, it's either my query or my first page. That sucks. But also keep in mind, there are whole other elements that are part of the equation that have nothing to do with you. And so it may be, One component could be, oh, this is too similar to a client that I'm currently representing and about to go on sub with. And so I can't take on this other person. It could be, oh, I just don't have the bandwidth right now because I'm an agency assistant and I support seven other people and I want to tear my hair out. There's just so, so it's, I feel like it's almost like you're too early in the process. Like even though six seems like a lot, a lot of times querying upwards of 20 people is not uncommon and so it's almost like you're still gathering think of the querying process as gathering information with which it absolutely seems like you are doing and it seems like at this point you just don't have enough information yet to to make a definitive oh my query sucks or my first page sucks okay
1: great thanks let's hit another question okay yes raise your hand please if you if you can and we will call on you is there a query letter format that you all use that you can direct us to? Um, There's a great book called Making the Perfect Pitch, and Mm -hmm. there's a website called Guide to Literary Agents that has a lot of queries that have worked. Um, Those are the two I usually recommend. Do you guys have more? So the book was called Making the Pitch? Making the Perfect Pitch. Perfect Pitch.
12: And then the second part is, and this was asked in the in the chat, are you all open to queries from us who have been participating tonight?
3: Yes, I, I. when I do a talk like this, I set up a specific query in Query Tracker, which is what I use. And I will share it with Jessica and Julie so that they can share it with you. Because at the moment, I'm closed to, to writers except Black and Indigenous writers. But I make exceptions for events like this. Thank you pretty
13: yes this was a question that was troubling me and uh, uh, you know me and uh, the person who nominated me so I just wanted to ask like uh, can you all talk about uh, protagonist ages like does the age of the protagonist um, like how low can would you consider it realistic for an uh, middle grade protagonist what age can how young can she be?
3: I'm going to suggest that you take a look at the podcast that I did on children's books that surprise and delight, because a little bit earlier, because that actually goes into some detail about the difference between chapter books and middle grade, because the reason there, there are there are structures around what what publishers want, and so as an agent, what we do is we're taking books to market, so we do try and fit the books that we're publishing into what the publishers, I mean, that we're representing into what those publishers are looking for. So eight to 10 is fine for middle grade. Um, Different publishers have different chapter book lengths and I did go into it in in some detail actually.
0: Okay, thank you. Guys, I think, just knowing the time, I think it's time to close this out. Once again, such a grand experiment. We wanna thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and again, we will send you um, a goodie bag tomorrow. But if you want to go join the Facebook group, you can go to manuscriptacademy.com slash Facebook. If you need anything in the meantime, you can email us at academyatmanuscriptwishlist.com. And seriously, it's been an amazing journey. Thank you so, so, so much for coming along on all of the strange things we've come up with. It means a lot, especially this year. So we appreciate you. We can't wait to see what great things happen for you and we hope you'll keep in touch. All right. Thanks, everyone.
4: Thank you for having us.
0: We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects
1: our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy.com at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about
0: the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.